I think just having South Asian dance as a category is huge. To be considered in that was a huge thing for the South Asian dance sector. Named after the Greek goddess of dance and chorus, and also an allusion to historian Sally Baines' seminal book on postmodern dance, Terpsichorean Sneakers, Terpsichore is a platform celebrating female dancers, choreographers, and bodies in motion, curated by me, dance critic and writer Emily May. Posting information, images, and videos of female dance pioneers, both past and present, on a daily basis on our Instagram account, Terpsichore has now started its very own podcast where I will be interviewing leading women from the dance industry about their lives, careers and the female artists that have inspired them. Today I'm delighted to welcome the amazing Vidya Patel to the podcast, who I met many years ago while we were both training on the Centre for Advanced Training Scheme at Dance Exchange in Birmingham. Vidya is a Birmingham-based dance artist with a background in Kathak, learning predominantly from her guru Sujata Banerjee. In 2015, Vidya represented the South Asian category in the grand finals of the inaugural BBC Young Dancer Competition at Sadler's Wells and has since performed in international touring works created by critically acclaimed artists including Sir Richard Alston, Gary Clark, Thick and Tight and Academy. She's also collaborated with artists including Shami Pithia, Connor Scott and been commissioned by Sampad Arts in Birmingham. Currently a member of Akash Odedra 2 and a young associate artist at Sadler's Wells, I wanted to speak to Vidya about her experience of working across classical Indian and contemporary styles and how she's developing her own choreographic practice. Well, hi Vidya, thank you so much for joining us today on the Tepsicle podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Emily. And yeah, really exciting to be part of this and just see like everything that you're up to and collating and gathering so yeah it's, it's humbling to be part of this so thank okay. you and it's so great to have you i was just wondering where are you speaking to us from today so i am in birmingham i'm in hansworth where i've sort of just grown up my whole life and almost feel like this time has been like going back into the days that I was at school, staying with like my mom and dad and just sort of doing things, going to school, learning, coming home and all of that. It just feels like I've gone back in time, but with a different mindset now. So it's interesting what this pandemic has unraveled and difficulties that are part of it as well but the time that we have to sort of reflect on different things. Did you move back with your parents because of the coronavirus crisis? So actually I have been living with my parents like ever since I was young but during my freelance years I was in London quite a lot so I would be there weekly like three times four times a week sometimes the whole week even whether it's for like rehearsals or shows or like a project that I'm part of so for me not having that traveling aspect and being at home is so different so it does feel like I have moved back in a way even though I've always been here it's a really strange thing to even think about like even though I have always lived here and it's been my permanent base I feel like I've properly moved back now and just making use of my time with even my parents being resourceful like with the space in the house the garden and trying to make everything work 
as much as possible. You said it's almost like reminding you of school days and being a child again. That's where I wanted to start with our conversation and go right back to the beginning and ask you what were some of your first memories of dance? My first memories were as a child, I think ever since we were younger, my parents would take us to watch shows. There's the Sampad organization in Birmingham, which regularly had artists coming over from India. So we would go to watch different shows and also dance classes were available then in Indian classical dance. And my mom and dad had a really big interest in wanting to imbibe our cultural heritage in me and my two older sisters. My sisters actually began going to class first and I was quite young, so I wasn't able to enroll then because I was too little. But then their dance teacher, Chitale Kabola, who teaches Bharatanatyam in Birmingham still now, he said I could come to the summer school. So that was like my first ever formal class environment. It was like a summer school of Bharatanatyam that I was following along with my sisters. And I just wanted to be like them and all the other older dancers that were performing. And the whole thing of dance and music was just so exciting. I was just like, I just have to be part of it and move. So that was my earliest memories. But also being from a Gujarati background, like in our culture, we have a lot of festivities that take place in the year. So we have one which is called Novratri, and it comes in October, November time. And it's just a festival of nine nights where you dance in the evenings to live music. And it's just a fun folk festival, which is in honor of the goddesses. But just enjoying that community aspect as well of dance. I just loved everything about movement and music. That's amazing. And I didn't realize that you'd actually started in Bharatanatyam before going on to train in Kathak. How did you end up switching to Kathak? And what was it that attracted you to that style of dance? Yeah, so there was a transition that I didn't even realize took place, but we were going to learn Bharatanatyam with Chitalekabola in Birmingham. And then also there was a teacher who came from India called Anurika Ghosh. So that was my first ever experience of learning Kathak because she would teach down the road. So my mom and dad at that time had a building and there was some space. So anyone who was coming over, they would sort of give the space to them to do classes and stuff. So for me and my sisters, we just went along and were trying things out. And I was very young then to actually remember what I was exposed to, but mainly like the things of the bells, the starting of class, of doing like the prayer at the beginning and just listening to the sound of the gungrus, which are the ankle bells that you wear in Kathak. I think that was my initial exposure to the dance form. And then we had a break from Indian classical dance altogether. We didn't really go to any formal classes. And my, my sisters used to do classes every weekend of Bollywood and semi-classical. And they would just get together with friends and they would create work and we'd perform it. But I think that period was just really experimental. And then when I was 10, I went again into Kathak and started learning with Sonia Sabri in Birmingham. And then she introduced me to the CAT program, in which then I met you. Yeah, and I know through CAT as well, you trained with Sujata Banerjee, but also in London, I think you traveled down to train with her there. Can you tell me a little bit about that relationship? Because we don't have it so much in contemporary dance, having this guru, one singular person that you really learn from. Uh, so maybe you could tell me a little bit about your uh, relationship with Sujata as a guru. 
Yes, my first initial experience of meeting Sujata Didi, we say Didi at the end, it's just like mm-hmm. a way of showing respect or it's just a very mm-hmm. informal way of addressing. But I met Sujata Didi at the CAP program because she was a subject tutor. Mm-hmm. So back then I then had two teachers, my home tutors, Nina Sabri and Sujata Banerjee as well. Mm-hmm. And the way in Indian classical dance that it works, there is that guru shishya relationship which means the teacher and student but it's such a deeper relationship because it's like mentorship friendship a guide that you can go to for anything really and during the cat program i was exposed to her way of teaching her energy which is so enthusiastic and encouraging and I was just so drawn to the way that Sujata Didi was teaching and also passing on the knowledge that she had in such a fun and just limitless way. I was just like, my gosh, I need to continue learning with her. Yeah, I think that was one of the best things actually that happened was meeting her at the CAP program. And it was actually after I graduated, I think it was the year that I was graduating from the CAP program in 2014, that I then started, actually my dad used to drop me weekly on Wednesdays to sort of train with her. So I would go straight after my college finished in Birmingham, my dad would would turn up outside and I'd get in the car and we'd do a two and a half hour drive to London for evening classes. It was crazy looking back on that time. And then after class finished at say like nine o'clock, he'd then drive me back and then the next morning I'd go back to sixth form and continue school as if like nothing has happened. It's so committed for you as well, but also such dedicated parents. That's a huge thing. I think just having their support on being like, okay, you want to train from this teacher who lives in London. How can we be there to like support that? At that time as well, my dad's job was quite flexible. So it allowed him to have that time, which was like a blessing in that moment in time to just have that support, I think, because I didn't have the courage to get on a train after school and then go and come back. But I think it was after a few months of those car journeys that I was like, okay, I'm going to start training it now, dad, take a break from driving. And then I started going to more lessons like on the weekend and also going on Saturdays as well. So I think that relationship just formed of seeing her even as a guru, because first she was my subject tutor at CAP. And I think it was that respect that grew from my side and also her vision to see my potential and be like, do you know what? I can be there to guide that, which was so encouraging. I think whenever there's someone, even if they're not a guru, just in life to be like, if you've got this dream and you want to sort of try and achieve it, I can help you with that. And it's just the best thing to hear, I think. And at that age as well, I was just like, okay, if there's someone to support me, let's just see where this goes with no expectations. I'm interested from the beginning when you were training, did you always know that you wanted it to turn into a career or was there a point where you kind of realised that you wanted to make dance your career path? Do you know what? At the beginning, it was more a hobby. Like I would just go on the weekends to classes and it was a hobby that grew into that interest. I think it was the CAP programme because you know as well like just being in that environment of a studio having different guest artists come and then seeing like even the contemporary strand or the Bharatanatyam strand and seeing that there's do you know what there's other people who want to do something related to dance and pursue it further so I think the cat 
program environment and meeting Suja Dadidi there was a big catalyst in making me decide that I want to pursue it as a career. One of the main turning points was during my graduation year at CAT, I had some bursary left and Sujatadidi sat me down and they were like, you've got quite a bit of your bursary left. We've got an idea, but it's up to you what you do with it. So they gave me the opportunity to use that bursary to go to India and train for a few weeks. And for me, just going there and being exposed to students who are training in India India just made me see it in a different light. They were seeing the form as a subject. As you see in school, it was like science, it was like math. Dance was something of real greater value. Just seeing the energy that was there, Sujata Didi had her colleagues there that she sent me to. She was like, go and learn from this person. So I went to Luna Bodhar and Sandeep Malik and got a chance to train with their students as well. And it was just beautiful and really eye-opening. So I think when I came back from that experience, I was like, do you know what? I'm going to take a gap year and see where dance takes me because I was thinking about going to university to do dance or fine arts but that eventually just sort of dwindled and I, I didn't end up going but it's always there at the back of my mind. I'm really interested what you're saying about the value of dance and that in India that they were studying it like maths or any other subject would you say that through that experience you realized that there is a greater importance and value of dance in India than in the UK because obviously there's so many horrible stories at the minute about people considering getting rid of GCSE dance and dance in schools and drama as well and the other arts. Do you think there's something maybe we could learn from the importance that they place on it in India? Yes, I think there's definitely the importance that people place who are training there. And obviously there's still that thing that not many people in India are training in Indian classical dance because they train in other things and they have other interests. But when I went there and saw it, I think it was that thing that I've hadn't seen that in school where I went to. It was very academic based. Like, do you know what? If you do science or math, then that's brilliant. If you choose an art subject, you're kind of second priority. I went to a grammar school for secondary school and sixth form but my perception especially in the sixth form that I went to was that it's not considered as a career even and I remember even some of the teachers sort of telling me to take more academic subjects than the art ones that I had chosen to be like mm-hmm. do you know what you actually not gonna get a job in that so why are you doing that take this one because it's a safer option and still I ended up doing the art subjects that I wanted to do but it is really interesting and I still wish that more emphasis was given on the arts in the UK throughout schools whichever school you go to and having that readily available and it's sad to know that there's so many cuts that are taking place that then they have to stop doing those creative subjects there could be so many people who have their potential in that and we just won't know because they don't get a chance to experience which is really sad and I hope through this pandemic as well people just realize the importance of arts and what it can do for whether it's just your mental health and well-being or even just a creative expression in your day-to-day life. In India, I, I was just encouraged and inspired to see the dedication to the art form. I remember seeing students and they were really dedicated to it and I thought, do you know what, if I was dedicated in it, does that mean I could achieve results then as well? So it gave me a sense of, you know 
the world is your oyster if you try and work hard. And you have achieved so much already. I think one of the things that really springboarded your career was that you won the South Asian dance category of the first ever BBC Young Dancer competition, which I think was in 2015. What attracted you to applying? Do you remember seeing the call out and what kind of interested you in taking part in the competition? So during my gap year, actually, it was a really lucky coincidence that this had started. I think it was September or August that the call out took place and I was just like do you know what this is perfect timing because I'm trying to dedicate myself to dance this year and with this opportunity I can try and delve into it further or just give it a shot at each stage it was a challenge because I hadn't performed actually solo Kathak before the way that I did in the competition because usually in class there's a group of people again you're learning pieces as a group and there isn't that big big focus on solo even though it is a solo art form so I think through the competition I got a chance to work with my teacher more closely but then also reach out to musicians I, I reached out to Shomi Bithia, who's a wonderful composer and multi-talented musician. And through the competition, they gave a choice of either working with a dancer or a musician. So I thought, do you know what? I'm just going to reach out and see if he replies. And luckily he did. So it just gave a chance to explore and also meet other dancers in different dance styles. So yeah, it was a very lucky timing, I think, for me. As you mentioned there, there are lots of dance styles involved in the competition. I've thought a lot recently as well about there's been an increase in contemporary dance in the mainstream media, which is helping it because it's quite a niche art form that not so many people know about. Would you say it's similar with South Asian dance? Do you think there is kind of a rise of South Asian dance being seen in the mainstream media through competitions like this? And do you think it's helping it raise its profile in the UK? I think it's definitely helping to raise its profile and also to raise the potential or if someone wants to train in it then they can have some sort of pathway of do you know what there is this thing to look forward to I think just having South Asian dance as a category in the BBC Young Dancer competition was huge to be considered in that was a huge thing for the South Asian dance sector and for me I was just really grateful for all the work that so many artists have done in the past that had made that possible even now it's very few times that I go into a place and I have to explain what I do but I know a lot of people who had come at that time to the UK from India and had started their life here and were teaching literally had to explain from the bottom up of what they do where the dance form comes from what it is and they created a narrative of South Asian dance in the UK and even artists like Akram Khan even though his work is also contemporary I think the fact that people know that his training has been in Kathak it just exposes people to it much more rather than it being something which is exclusive or not seen as much so I think it was really really a big booster for a lot of people to see that part of the competition. So you mentioned Akram Khan there as someone who works between Kathak and contemporary dance styles this is something similarly that you're 
kind of doing now and I know that after the competition this kind of launched your performance career and you work with quite a few contemporary choreographers as well including Richard Austin and Gary Clark. Can you tell me a little bit about the experiences of working with them and how those opportunities came about? After the competition in my mind I just wanted to sort of ride the wave as much as possible. People may have seen me on television and I just wanted to keep this momentum of feeling encouraged and just making sure I push with that momentum and also my teacher was making sure you know that with my training that it continues as well with the BBC Young Dancer competition a lot of different opportunities came about which was great I was getting a chance to perform pieces by myself which wouldn't have happened I don't think otherwise because sometimes it is seen that if you are older you've got more experience but I think people trusted me as a young dancer at that point because they had seen me already so that was really helpful but with working with Richard Alston that came about from the U Dance opportunity so Linda Jasper she was one of the first people who was in contact with my teacher when she had come to England earlier mm -hmm. And so she had seen me and she was organizing new dance festivals. So she wondered if I would come as like a guest performer to perform. And so I performed there and I performed one of the pieces that I did part of the competition. And it was a solo classical part of the repertoire. And I didn't know that Richard actually was watching that day. <laughs> so after, I think it was a week or two, he got in touch with my teacher, Sujata Didi, and was like, I saw your student performing. I know there's this relationship between a teacher and a student, but I was just wondering whether you would be interested in letting me work with your students. So it would just came totally out of the blue. And I knew who Richard was, and I had actually spoken to my teacher in the past about like his work, but again, like never ever imagined this to come up at all. So for me, it was just such a surprise, but also wonderful to know that someone's ready to, to give their trust and be so welcoming. So that was how that opportunity came about. And even when I look back, it has really shaped my understanding of like a company or working in a professional setting, because before actually going into the company, I had no idea of what it's like to even do company class or be in a Cunningham technique class or ballet technique class. So everything was really new to me, but all the dancers part of that company, I think each and every one of them taught me a lot from their own experiences or just watching them rehearse in the studio. And then it just opened up a lot for me because I took a real interest in the work of Richard's work, especially, but also the wider dance sector and contemporary dance and then even going to watch Gary's work and seeing how he works with narrative and storytelling. And it's so raw and beautiful to see. And yeah, it just became a lot more curious after that. And curious about how you can bring elements of that and Kathak together and the potential for dialogue between the two art forms? I think it was more about the dialogue between people and their artistic aspirations rather than the form. Because even with Richard, he was looking at the Kathak form and the rhythm of it to influence his dance and myself being a body that has been trained by Kathak dance. So the work itself, which was Italian in Madrid, had those rhythmic aspects through the music of Scarlatti. But then also I was taking on a lot of contemporary dance that I hadn't done before. So I felt that it was really working with the ideas of Richard's 
existing work and seeing how he incorporates it through that rather than me being a collaborator in that but being a collaborator I think through my presence and my history as a, a dancer in my Kathak training I think the curiosity for me comes more of how different artistic expressions can come together whether that's in contemporary or hip-hop but more about the people, I think, and being curious what goes on in people's minds and how they formulate the ideas in their minds into actual movement that can then be seen on stage or in outdoor settings and stuff. I know at the minute you're working as a member of Akasha Dedra too. Can you tell me a little bit about what interests you in his work and what it's been like working with the company, especially, I guess, at a time that's unprecedented in terms of the corona crisis? Yeah, so with AO2, it's an educational development program. So I auditioned to be part of that before the pandemic. Through that, it's been great to see that it's an open program. You can be a contemporary dance artist, Kathak Bratnathiam, and you can be there and they'll shape your development. So we were learning some choreographies that Akash had learned with Sidi Lavi or Russell Maliphant. So we got a chance to experience that and learn those, which I think was just great to expose my body to and also be in a safe space that it's allowed to explore whatever training background you come from so that's been really wonderful and also before that I applied for like the developing your creative practice grant and I was also looking at Akash's work in that and a lot of other artists work to see how Kathak can be seen in different ways whether it's in a traditional Gurukul setting or with a contemporary take on the Kathak art form and just seeing people's way of expressing that as well. So I was, I was really interested in that. But yeah, Akash is a dancer who I've always seen ever since I was young and he's hugely inspiring as a performer, but even as a person. You're now also exploring your choreographic practice as well as performing and working with other choreographers. How did you decide that you wanted to start exploring your own choreographic voice? So I think the initial thought that really wanted me to start doing this was that I was an associate at Data Derby and part of that I got to have chats with Phil he was a producer he doesn't work there at the moment but I think through that really I got a chance to just say like my ideas and sometimes it's that initial moment of even expressing that do you know what I've got an idea how do you formulate that into something so I think the support that I received there to just speak my ideas and see how that can be put into something was the beginning of wanting to explore my choreographic expression and my vision as well so I think working with different choreographers also has influenced that because I've loved being a vessel to explore other people's visions but then over the years I'm also interested to see what comes from those experiences and how I could use my own life experiences or even those experiences of working with different choreographers into my own work so I think it's really curiosity led of what does all of these experiences do and how does that form into movement and what does that say even? So at the moment, it's totally in development. And I think it will continue to be for a long time because I'm just excited to see what happens through this, depending on what I choose to explore. And even influences of music, which is huge on dance, especially in Indian classical dance and Kathak. 
and seeing what music can do with dance and what that brings out of dance and vice versa. But yeah, choreographically, I'm on this journey to sort of develop this voice and just see where it takes me. And you've created a couple of pieces already, and many of them are in collaboration with other artists. So I know about The Elephant was with your fellow BBC Young Dancer alumnus, uh, Connor Scott, and then more recently, Visions in the Nunnery with very established visual artist, Hatem Patel. Can you tell me a little bit about these projects or maybe describe some of them for our listeners if they haven't seen them? Yeah, so about The Elephant, I created that in co-collaboration with Connor Scott, who is a contemporary dance artist, and also Shami Pithia, the composer he created the original score to the whole piece so I think this whole project that we started was amazing that we were given the trust by Sampad and Serendipity Festival who are based in India to sort of make this full-length piece of work and the whole work was about finding yourself within the busyness of the world and I think it came back to that thing of me and Connor as two individuals rather than a Catholic dancer and a contemporary artist doing a fusion it was more about how does our movement vocabulary and our ideas amalgamate into one piece of work and also Shami bringing his experience of composing he was also asking a lot of questions about why we want to create this piece which kept on prompting us to explore the whys in the work. We also had Kerry Nichols on board who was mentoring us. Also we had a chance to present the work to a group of people who she was mentoring and get some constructive criticism on that which again I think that process of sharing work and continuously developing with eyes on it it was just a total like learning process because it was the first time we had really created a full length piece together between the three of us yeah it was amazing because we got to premiere that in Goa at this festival which included photography and music and dance and actually the dance portion was curated by Thanushi Shankar who specializes in Shankar technique and actually I forgot to mention earlier but she would come to Birmingham a lot when I was little and they did a lot of summer workshops and her troupe were performing so again to get connected to her through this project was brilliant um, because yeah she's an amazing woman and choreographer as well. And then what about with Hetain? I think not last year, but the year before, I reached out to Hetain because I've been a fan of his work ever since. I think the first time I was exposed to his work was in 2014. At that time, I was thinking of going to university to do fine art. So I was going to life drawing classes at the MAC in Birmingham. And I would sort of go sit with my easels or do all of that. And then at the end of class, I would just peep into the gallery to see what's showing. And one of the days, Hitane's work was there and it was this whole exhibition called Home and a few of his films were there. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing because he was bringing performance into the gallery. I think also him being from a Gujarati background, there was so much work when I saw it that I related to. I was just like, wow, what a brilliant artist. And I think since then I'd always been following his work. Then after the BBC competition, I was in touch with Eva Martinez through Sadler's Wells and I She's also his wife. And she gave me a ticket to see his work at the Lillian Bailey. That piece of work, it was just a solo show of him 
performing. It was a mixture of humor, a mixture of reality, a mixture of everything that you look at in the world. And it's just like, my gosh, like misogyny and patriarchy. It was talking about so many things that I, I just thought, do you know what? It's, it's amazing that one person can show all these different facets through their work in a way which connects with an audience like I remember being in that audience and people were laughing and then there were points that it was just silence and I think that really excited me about his work and how he talked about identity within it as well so during 2018 there was a funding that opened through Dance Hub in Birmingham and it was for South Asian dancers to get in touch with someone that they hadn't got in touch with and they wanted to find out more about their practice so I applied for that and I don't know it just came to mind that let me just see if I can approach him and get in touch and luckily he got back to me and had a conversation. And then after that, we had time in the studio to develop work where I got a eye into his process and practice. And also he was then through that developing a piece of work on me. It was an amazing experience of how he creates really autobiographically. And then, yeah, that led to the visions because some of the piece of work was interlaced with some of his previous work that was performed. So yeah, there was a lot of different things in there like nunchucks and impersonations and accents and talking a lot about different things that come up, I guess, about people's perception of even myself as a South Asian brown woman and trying to dodge that with the work that he had made. But yeah, it's, it's been wonderful to work with him and yeah, big admirer of his work. And I would definitely encourage people to see his work if they haven't already. Obviously things are so difficult now because of the pandemic, but are you working on anything currently or how has the pandemic affected your artistic practice and plans? Yeah, the pandemic, it's been really interesting time to just stop and pause. I think I was so busy in performing with different people and being part of their works which I really enjoyed and then it was just like okay everything's just stopped now mm -hmm. so at the beginning I was trying to do as much as possible and then there was a period where I was just like do you know what I need to take a break and just stop and reflect on what I'm doing, what I want to progress with. At the beginning of the pandemic, it was great because I could still continue doing a bit of work with Hitain with the dance hub, because we still had to do a sharing and then it was moved to online. So I was able to work with him virtually to see how we can make it for the screen instead. And a few things that I had been part of that have been really motivating was being part of this new idea and initiative called Munch UK. The vision of it was by Mira Koshik, but then we're now all co-founders of it. it was, it's all a group of women actually. And what we've been doing is getting in touch with different practitioners from the South Asian dance sector, film sector, music, and making them tell their stories, letting people listen to them. Because I think sometimes with performance work, you can really see the final product of someone on stage. You miss out all of that process that goes into it, the hard work, their life. And I think it's been a great opportunity to connect people in a human way mm -hmm. and see people as humans and see what they've achieved through that. I've, I've been using this time to connect with different people and also set up a new initiative called South Asian Dance Artists UK as well, because I really wanted to connect dancers during this time and also make sure that people who wanted to further get involved with dance have a way to access mm -hmm. opportunities 
because sometimes it's just someone may find difficulty in just sitting down on the laptop, but then they don't know where they can access these opportunities. So I've been sending out newsletters, just collating a lot of information that hopefully can inspire people to apply for different things that are happening within the wider dance industry and the South Asian dance industry. That's amazing that you're giving that support to people through those initiatives. The other thing I wanted to mention was that I believe you're currently a young associate at Sadler's Wells. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about being part of this scheme and how it's supporting your development as an artist. Yes, so before the pandemic happened, we were given an opportunity to create work and I created that on Connor actually and he performed that at the Lillian Bayless. Then after that, they got in touch to say that I was part of it. I think going through the process of each stage, I try and just be in that moment and not expect what's gonna happen further. So I can just give my all and not be disappointed if I don't get that. But in this case, yeah, it was really lucky that I was able to have this opportunity. What happens is we have two years with Sadler's Wells to be supported. So it's actually a developmental educational program for young artists to be supported in developing their artistic expression and choreography. Through the pandemic, we've been having a lot of Zooms and some have included associates as well. So it's been interesting to see how different companies who are on such a bigger scale have been affected by the pandemic because previously as a young artist, I don't get any insights on that and what happens. So in that sense, it's been very eye-opening to see what actually goes on in like that world of being an established company for many years and suddenly having to stop. And also talking about the program itself, we are sort of working towards creating a work for like the Lillian Bayliss and then eventually the last year would be making a work for the main house. So the whole process is a really caring one actually that guides us through it in not a scary way because I think when I first heard like you're going to possibly be creating work like for the main house I'm just like gosh I don't know how I'm going to do that but Lucy and Tim who are part of that program have just been mentoring us and checking in and seeing where we are during the pandemic that have been really helpful yeah going forward finding ways that they can help us achieve that and develop ourselves to be able to do that but also not having that moment as a stamp on my work saying like this is my work and this is what it is but really giving a chance to express in what I've Ever way that is whether it's Kathak whether it's folk I think I, I have the liberty to do what I want which is great amazing well I can't wait to hopefully see it when I can finally maybe travel back to the UK and and it gets created just got one more question for you which I've been asking everyone because it's the Terpsichore podcast and we focus on women from the dance industry and I was wondering if you could meet and talk to any female dance practitioner from history who would it be and why and maybe what would you want to ask them so I came to know of this artist that I wish I had known of earlier but recently was reading her book at the beginning of the pandemic. Her name is Chandraleka, and she was a dance artist focusing on the Bharatanatyam form. She had trained in that, and she went through then incorporating yoga and martial arts into her work. But one of the things that I'm fascinated by with her was that 
she was not only a dance artist, but she was a activist. She was a graphic designer. She was a writer and she had so many facets to herself. It wasn't just that she was defined by her work and that's it. She wasn't conformative as well to society. She was always questioning. So yeah, Chandaleka is someone that I would love to. Obviously she has passed away now. She passed away when I was reading her book I found in 2006. So actually she was alive when I was alive, but I just never knew of her. So I wasn't at the stage to reach out and see. But I think if I got to meet her, I would just love to listen and hear what she says. I think I would have too many questions, which would probably sabotage the whole conversation. (laughs) Okay, one thing maybe I would ask is what would you do now in the situation that we are in as a woman choreographer? Obviously she has passed away, but if she could influence what's going on now, what would she do? And I would definitely recommend this book. It's called Women, Resistance and Dance. And the title of it is called Jandaleka. It's by Rustam Baruja. I don't know if I've pronounced that correctly, but amazing, amazing book, which talks about her works and how she influenced her classical dance style with yoga and martial arts. She spoke about a period of time where she didn't, actually practice Indian classical dance and she was just focusing on yoga and martial arts and somehow that resonates with me so much because I think during the pandemic there was a period of time where I just couldn't bring myself to even practice Kathak form. I think when I read that I was like okay I feel reassured that it doesn't matter if what you have a passion in you're not practicing in that moment of time even though you know it's importance of it but actually life in itself is informing whatever you do, whether you're practicing yoga, watching something, reading, or even doing nothing. And I think something that she spoke about in the book really resonated with me about that. It's a wonderful read. Amazing. Thank you so much, Vidya. Thank you for joining us today and being an amazing guest. Thank you so much, Emily, for having me on board and can't wait to hear more artists that you bring on in the future. I hope you enjoyed the sixth episode of the Terpsichore podcast with the amazing Vidya Patel. If you would like to find out more about Vidya's work, follow her on Instagram or check out the online platform she has recently been involved in creating, Manch UK and South Asian Dance Artists UK. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and leave us a rating and review as it helps other people to find us. You can also follow Terpsichore Mag on Instagram or sign up to our newsletter via our website, www.terpsichore-mag.com. Thank you so much again for listening to the Terpsichore podcast with me, Emily May.